the Sabbath. The idea of a day of rest observed weekly is unknown to paganism. Occasional religious festival days did provide a time or some days of inactivity, but their purpose was not essentially rest, but some other reason. Certain weather cycles were observed by many people. In other cases, rest was a byproduct of various taboos imposed upon work, sex, or play on certain occasions. These periods of quiescence were often observances connected with rituals associated with planting, hunting, or fishing. Not only did certain taboos impose occasional rests on some cultures, but also the idea of unlucky days also necessitated periodic rests. We still encounter these unlucky day rests among followers of astrology, who find certain days unpropitious for activities. To call such observances Sabbaths, as Hutton Webster does, is ridiculous. In Babylon, the 15th day of the month was observed as a moon day. This was not, however, a Sabbath in anything resembling a biblical sense. The Mohammedan observance of Friday is an imitation of the Jewish and Christian observances, but its essential emphasis is on worship at the mosque rather than abstinence from work. In Israel, the Sabbath was a sign of the covenant with God. According to Abraham, Israel hollows the Sabbath as a sign of the people's sanctification by God. In the home, on Friday evening, and in the synagogue, the Kedush on sanctification was recited. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. The evening and morning were the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. Genesis 1, 31-2-3 Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who createst the fruit of the vine. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us by thy commandments, and has taken pleasure in us, and in love and favor hast given us thy holy Sabbath as an inheritance, a memorial of the creation, that day being also the first of the holy convocations, in remembrance of the departure from Egypt. For thou hast chosen us and sanctified us above all nations, and in love and favor hast given us thy holy Sabbath as an inheritance. Blessed art thou, O Lord, who hollowest the Sabbath. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who bringest forth bread from the earth. The Sabbath was seen as an eschatological sign of rest, a present blessing in this world, and a sign of the world to come. It was a day of joy. This day is for Israel's light and rejoicing, Israel declared in song. As Abraham noted, the liturgy speaks of the Sabbath as a hallowed and blessed day, which in holiness giveth rest unto a people sated with delights. It should be recognized from the Kiddush that the Sabbath tied together the beginning and the end of creation. It is a memorial of the creation, a reminder of the rest of God from his work, and it takes its pattern from the seven days of creation. It is also a memorial of the day of salvation, the Passover, the first of the holy convocations in remembrance of the departure from Egypt. But the Kedush also declares that God has given us thy holy Sabbath as an inheritance. It is an inheritance already received and still to come, with every Sabbath drawing the people of the covenant closer to the great and everlasting Sabbath of God. The Sabbath is thus a promise of things to come as well as a present reality. To those who are the redeemed, the Sabbath signifies our present rest in the Lord, but the wicked are like the troubled sea, when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. Isaiah 57, 20-21 The Sabbath and the rest given and promised by the Sabbath is a sign of the covenant. 
Exodus 31.13 and 16, Ezekiel 20.12. For covenant breakers, there is no Sabbath and hence no rest. The eternal restlessness and torment of false aseity in hell is thus a vindication of the covenant, as Dr. Schilder pointed out. Without such vindication of the broken covenant, we should have miscarriage of the covenant. To put it bluntly, if God failed to punish covenant breakers, he himself would be a covenant breaker. Similarly, because God keeps his covenant with his people, there is a Sabbath rest for them. The paradoxical fact concerning the ungodly is that their culture declines both in productivity, the ability to work effectively, and in the ability to rest. In most pagan cultures, the ability to work effectively is severely limited, and productivity is low. Prior to the influence of Christendom on some pagan societies, the difference was even more marked. While the hours of work were sometimes long, the total accomplishment was slight and the productivity was normally barely enough to sustain life for most peoples. Rest was also unproductive of anything but dissipation, so that both work and leisure dissipated human energy and provided little return. A culture which fails to give a functioning meaning to life will fail to the same degree to give meaning to work and play. The will to live is then weak in every area, and man's energy is dissipated into the void of pointless living. To have a capacity for a true rest, or Sabbath, means to have a life that has a transcendent purpose and meaning. The Hebrew Sabbath was not our Saturday, although it was the seventh day of the week in the Hebrew calendar. Its place then at the end of the week of the Hebrew calendar was significant. Under the Old Covenant, the Sabbath pointed forward to him who was to come and bring rest. Thus, the rest followed toil, and the Sabbath was the seventh day, the closing day. The weary laborer was given a day of rest lest he die. Under the new covenant, a remarkable change took place, based on the mediator who, in principle, has brought rest, who has risen from the dead, who henceforth reigns and lives to all eternity. Therefore, the Sabbath of the New Testament falls upon the first day of the week. It is a change in principle. Under the old economy, the laborer struggled toward the day of rest. Under the new economy, he begins with rest. He no longer needs to seek rest lest he die. He is richly endowed, an anointed partaker of God's feast, performing works of gratitude. On Israel's journey from Egypt, Canaan was a symbol of rest, the promised land. To Israel in Canaan, see Psalm 95, it meant a life according to the law of God, and closely associated therewith, rest from enemies. In the new creation, we begin with the fact of rest as basic to our being. Sin and death and the frustration thereof having been removed from our lives, we do not begin under an enervating burden. Moreover, the crippling memory of sin will not handicap us. The knowledge of sin in heaven will be insight rather than recollection. As the people of the Sabbath, it is our duty to see the earth not primarily as accursed, but as an instrument for God's glory. Its development and unfolding, civilization and culture, is then preparatory to God's Sabbath, and the perfecting of its development is that Sabbath. Our task is to hew a path by which that Sabbath of God will come. We are not merely to enjoy that which is left of beauty and pleasantness in this world. When Genesis 2, 1-7 tells us of the creation rest of God, it signifies a cosmic peace in which all things were not only God's creation, but fully and joyfully in submission to him. This peace was broken by sin, by man's attempt to substitute his independent work for God's work. Man, claiming to be his own God, asserting a pretended autonomy and aseity, refused to remain subject to God and insisted instead that God submit himself to the requirements of man's reason. If man determines something to be good or evil in terms of his own autonomous standards, Genesis 3.5, 
then God would have to recognize the validity of man's independent evaluation. Man thus broke the cosmic peace by his declaration of independence from God and entered into a world without rest in which he began to erect his towers of Babel as principles of a new world order without God. The world of the fall is an anti-Sabbath world. Its goal is a man-made rest. An impossibility, because man cannot be a god, nor can he be a creator of a new earth and a new cosmic peace and rest. God's Sabbath is thus a hated reminder of another rest and peace, one which man seeks to suppress in order to realize his own peace. God's Sabbath requires rest from our own works because this signifies our trust that our hope and salvation are in God's work. As Calvin commented on Hebrews 4.10, We must indeed confess that then only is our life rightly formed when it becomes subject to God. But through inbred corruption, this is never the case until we rest from our own works. Nay, such is the opposition between God's government and our corrupt affections that he cannot work in us until we rest. But though the completion of this rest cannot be attained in this life, yet we ought ever to strive for it. The significance of the Sabbath appears also in the sabbatical years designated by the law, Exodus 21.2-6 and 23.11, Nehemiah 10.31, Deuteronomy 15.12-18, Leviticus 25.5, etc. The law required cancellation of debts, release of slaves, rest for the soil and for animals, and more, and also promised increased fertility and prosperity for obedience. It was called a year of dropping or cancellation, Deuteronomy 15.9. A significant term. The burdens, debts, and labors of the past were dropped or cancelled by a refreshing and enriching rest, so that what would seem from a humanistic perspective an impoverishing of man was in reality his enriching. And if ye shall say, What shall we eat the seventh year? Behold, we shall not sow nor gather in our increase. Then I will command my blessing upon you in the sixth year, and it shall bring forth fruit for three years. And ye shall sow the eighth year and eat yet of old fruit until the ninth year, until her fruits come in ye shall eat of the old store. Leviticus 25, 20-22 From a naturalistic perspective, the Sabbath of the soil makes good sense. It means the restoration and revitalization of the soil. But the text points to a promise of a miracle. Before the sabbatical year, God will grant a sixth year of sufficient richness to feed them, not only through the seventh or Sabbath year, but up to the harvest of the eighth year. Having sown again in the eighth year, their old store will survive until the ninth year's harvest. This is a special providence every sixth year. A rest with bounty is thus at the beginning of the new week of years. The eternal Sabbath thus begins with the remaking of all things, a regenerated creation. It thus begins with the changed, transfigured, and fulfilled wealth of the old creation purged of sin and death, made new in and by Christ, and a new creation begun with great wealth. We are told of the new creation that the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it, Revelation 21-24, and also that they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it, Revelation 21-26. The cosmic rest of Genesis 1-31 through 2-3 began with the wealth of God's creation. The cosmic rest of Revelation 21-4 and 5 and 22-3 begins with the regeneration by God of all things made by him and by man to endow his eternal kingdom with the abundance of peace. The Sabbath is thus not only rest, but rest in wealth and peace. It is indeed the day of rest and gladness, but also the day of wealth and delight therein. The promise of Psalm 37.11 is a Sabbath promise for time and eternity.
the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace.